Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 126, Finding Dory, Octophile. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim, swim. Ooh, and you got to... Oh, hey, hey, hey. Welcome, welcome, everyone, <laughs> to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers. My name is Mason. I'm here with Morgan and Chelsea, and you are here on the amazing episode number 126 that's right, we're the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. We've got Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don, um, Don Bluth, and everything in between. And, um, you know, I kind of like having these, like, twice-a-year Pixar releases. Um, <laughs> it's pretty great, because then we get to do more Pixar new release episodes, mm -hmm. and this is definitely one of them. Today, we are uh, reviewing Finding Dory, and... Uh, we just couldn't wait to talk about it. I, uh, Morgan and Chelsea saw this a little while back. I saw it on Friday night. Um, and we're going to talk about it now because we don't want to wait another week. Yes. And basically the rest of the world saw it as well. It broke an animation right. rec box office record. It seemed everyone was talking about it. And people I did not think would be talking about this film. And I was just like, ah, I can't wait. It's already been a week since I've seen it. <laughs> I don't want to wait another week until our normal record date, so I made the executive decision to bump up the live broadcast, <laughs> so I'm sure some of you are like, hey, what the heck, why did I miss it? That is totally on me. You can send all the hate mail to me, but there are still a few people joining <laughs> us live in the chat. I just couldn't wait, guys. I couldn't wait any longer. Hey, so you are the executive. <laughs> the boss. We bow to your wishes. <laughs> and, well, you know... I just couldn't contain the excitement. And this gives us an extra week to edit and release the podcast. And it gives us an extra week to, like, you know, take a breather or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. So Finding Dory, man. Whew. Today we are going to be discussing the short that came before it, Piper, Aww. as well as the full movie of Finding Dory. So this is just for everybody out there who may be wondering, oh, I wonder if this is going to have spoilers. It's an hour and a half long. It wouldn't have spoilers, would it? Come on, people. <laughs> if Finding Dory has not been released in your country yet, and you don't want to be spoiled, which I recommend you don't. Press stop now. Yeah, I would I would recommend not being spoiled. This was great to see fresh. Fresh like a fish. <laughs> fresh fish. We catch them, you buy them. We catch them, you buy them. Le paso, le paso. Today's the day, our field trip to the Stingray Migration. Stingray Migration. Migration is about going home, oh. which is where you're from. How do the stingrays all know where to go? Instinct, something deep inside you that feels so familiar that you have to listen to it. <gasps> my mom, my dad, I have a family. We will never forget you, Dory. What if I forget you? I miss them. You know what that feels like? Yes. Then we better get going. Yeah, the things I thought the day you Totally sick. Isn't it great? No, I'm gonna be totally sick. That's. Can you help me? Oh, oh, no. Sorry. Not a great swimmer. I think you swim beautifully. Thank you. You're welcome. Wait, Dory? 
Yes. Story? Yes. You and I were friends. No. It was so much fun because I'd tell you a story and then you'd completely forget about it mm -hmm. and then I'd get to tell it to you over and over again. I'm looking for my family. Are you crazy? It's too dangerous. Hands. Hands? Mommy? Ah! Holy Neptune. That is definitely not mommy. Ah! I'm sorry. I got a blink. How do you hold your eyes open that long? Oh. Hands, what's happening? Hello? Hello? Hey, you. Hi, can you help me? Yeah. Mm -mm, not good. Yeah, Finding Dory, man. I, I'll tell you right now, I liked it. I liked it better than the last Pixar sequel. Yes, me too. You know, I am doing a, um, I'm doing what's called the summer industry course at A&M, and we're doing a 20 second short film that is actually set underwater, and it is photorealistic rendering. And so we got a lot of inspiration from Finding Dory. Nice. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking of photorealistic, let's talk about Piper first, which is the short that played before Finding Dory. It's about a Finding Nadori. Little adorable little bird. So a little cute. Piper. Yeah, it's a baby bird leaving the nest for the first time, and his mother is giving him lessons in finding and eating clams out of the ocean, which, oh my gosh, so freaking cute. And that was one of the very first things when you I watched this movie, or this short, and I really couldn't tell. It was one of those moments where it's like, was there any live action used in this? I don't even know. I think they bridge the gap between photorealistic and cartoony in such a great way because the characters were so, um, you definitely knew that it was a, it was a character in a sh movie, but at the same time, it was just so real. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Yeah, real. It was real, yo. Oh, it was named Piper because the, the type of birds are called sandpipers. Right, yeah. So this was about a baby Piper and his mother and a whole flock of them and different learnings. I would call him Pippin. I think Pippin would be a great <laughs> name for him. Is he going to sing a song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Photorealistic, I'm telling you all, this is the future of animation. Like, the biggest studios with the best technology are going to stay with... Like, obviously, we're going to have stylized characters in the future, but this, um, this higher fidelity rendering, lighting, and shading... Um, is going to and cinematography is going to be the future uh, one of the part you know a big part of the future of animation like just look at uh, where the technology went for uh, Monsters University with their ray tracing engine and um, How to Train Your Dragon 2 with Torch their proprietary like rendering software and I'm excited uh, I'm learning a little bit about that myself working with some DreamWorks people this summer and um, I'm telling you like it's brilliant. It, it it's amazing. It's amazing how it tells the story. It's just how real it is, and it makes the it makes what happens on screen all the more magical because it's you see you see um, further along in the short that you know Piper is very animated. He is very stylized. He has facial expressions and moods and things like that. And um, and yet he lives in this world that feels so real. And I think there's some really big advantages to that. Plus, it's a short film, and like Pixar gets to like show off all their cool technology. Yeah, I think this one hit a lot better for me than it did uh, the photorealistic the Blue Umbrella. Yeah, And it wasn't the fact that it was the graphics at all or the animation. It was really the story, which just goes to show that the story really is what makes a difference. Um, you could It could be stick figures on a piece of paper for all 
I care as long as the story is compelling. And this was a very simple story, but it was about and it was a very Western story. You know, there's a character who has a problem and struggles and then finds a way to overcome that problem at the end. Right. So uh, very simple, but it left a smile on my face. So uh, definitely a, a hit for me as far as Pixar shorts go. Stick figures. Y'all mm-hmm. heard it from Morgan. Like y'all can go ahead and green light the stick figure movie. <laughs> we have an audience. We do, yes. I was always okay, the the part that really made me laugh so much was when he gets he first gets hit by the water and then oh, he comes man. up and he's just like twitching. He's like <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously that, traumatized. <laughs> and at that moment you're like, I I really can relate to this guy. <laughs> really? And then well, no. it's, it's scary for him. Yeah, uh, not really, but it's have, just you, funny. Have you ever been a kid? And I don't know. Maybe Morgan was completely fearless and was like one of the rocket power kids. But <laughs> have you ever, like, as a kid, like, been introduced to a new experience and it scared the crap out of you the first time it happened, and and it killed it for you, and, and maybe you maybe you left it alone for years, you know, because you were so traumatized. It, but you know, eventually your mom got you to come out, or. or It was one of those things where, like, you as a kid had to, like, make it your own. You had to overcome your fear yourself and find your own way to overcome it. And then you were all in, you know. And no amount of your parents telling you, it's okay, you know. It's not even that deep, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. tell you otherwise. That's what I kind of, I got a, got a, got a vibe from that. (laughs) I have some stories to tell about my little sister about that. But that would take too long. I can relate. And um, Piper is so adorable notice how like pixar just seems to specialize in showing and not telling a story without heavy use of dialogue like for me like the way pixar does a lot of these short films with zero dialogue all with all with expressive animation it's just so masterful like it helps me as the audience like focus on the animation performance and it's a much bigger challenge for the animator and it creates like a more universally communicable story like they don't have to they don't have to translate Piper into Spanish or Mandarin or anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone can understand what's happening just through expressive animation. Yeah. And they're like the little crabs that like show him the way. Like that was super cute. Um, I did like how when he finally like gets <laughs> under the water and opens his eyes and he looks around. Oh, it's not so bad. Aww. And then like all the clams like are popping up and he's like, <gasps> that was I mean, it was exactly what you're saying very expressive the storytelling was just excellent how they did it and i honestly thought that the humor was also in the same line as finding dory which was um obviously it's i mean it was executive produced by by andrew stanton and um john lasseter so i get that that it would (laughs) good old lassie um i get it that it would be that way and i'm i'm glad that they meshed so well together Morgan, where does this rank in your Pixar short films? I don't know if I necessarily have that ranking off the top of my head. It's hard because it was very cute and adorable, but is it my favorite? And I've heard a lot of people say this is one of their favorite Pixar shorts. Uh, I can't make that call at this time. I think I'd have to watch it again. I think I have to watch all of them again to really see. Uh, It's maybe more probably middle. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still some really great ones. Yeah, yeah. Like, was it as entertaining as Presto? No, but I think the animation was just as good. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't pull off as many tricks with the animation as Presto did. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> and uh, yeah. Ah ah ah. But yeah, totally adorable. Totes adorbs. <laughs> and um, it, it, it's it's just so cool. Like, 
I was looking at all the sea foam and the way that the way they did the effect of the sea, uh, you know, the pores open up and, and the clams come out like, man, that's just something else. Mm hmm. And Morgan and I were talking about it leaving the, the theater that night and just how how great I felt like these both this one and Finding Dory, they caricatured real life animals so well that we felt like, yeah, you've seen this before. And um, it's just really funny how I mean, you look at this movie versus some like some of the past movies that we've done in the last three weeks. Um, mm. It's just pretty amazing <laughs> how different the reviews are. I can't even remember the last one we did. Others. Song of the was, Sea? Um, I'm not talking about Song of the Sea. Oh, I'm talking, not about, talking Ang about that Angry one. Turds? The one prior. <laughs> oh, that no. would have been yes. more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Seth Rogen can voice in that one too. But yeah, um, I really liked this short. Um, I don't know. I would have to pit it against Blue Umbrella to really, really put it in like a ranking as far as like the Pixar shorts go. Because like at this point, like can you even compare them, you know? Lava was no. very stylized, but also had very photorealistic, like terrain building and stuff like that. You know, on the side of his volcano face. Well, is that the is that the only thing you're comparing it on? Is its animation style? Nah, you or know is it me. Holistically, as the the whole thing. You know me. My ranking systems are both arbitrary and highly complex, <laughs> and only I understand them. We love it. Like my desk space. <laughs> Cool. So <laughs> let's move on to Finding Dory, the main event, the thing that we are so excited to talk about. The whole world is talking about. Uh, let's first give you some good old statistics. So obviously the studio is Disney Pixar. Mm. Directors are Andrew Stanton, and he had a co-director. It was Angus McLean. Yeah. So it was released June 17th, 2016 in the United States. And budget was $200 million. And as of recently, as of today or yesterday, it made $205.3 million worldwide. However, I am pulling up an article wow. that one of the writers did on the website, Alex. And it talks about the box office uh, for its opening weekend. And it made $136.2 million in the opening weekend, which now makes it the highest opening ever for an animated film. Knocking Whoa. off previous King Shrek the Third, which was 121, so it beat it by about 15 million. Pretty crazy because you know it's funny. Wow. Like I think about Shrek the Third, and I'm like, that movie's not even that great. Now, it However, was the hype. at the time, Shrek was just such this powerhouse of you know of a franchise yeah. that everyone went to see it. Even though ultimately, you know, I don't think the film really stands up. However, Finding Dory, I think 10 years from now, we will absolutely say that it has stood the test of time, or at least I'd hope. So kind of excited that a very have, worthy yeah. film has the, the top place, <laughs> uh, which uh. is mm -hmm. pretty cool. So I have a few other statistics about box office, of course, getting all of the statistics from Wikipedia, Box Office Mojo, and also our own website. But... Let's see. It mentioned that this is actually the the second highest opening for a Walt Disney Studios motion picture picture behind Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. So uh, behind an, an asterisk of a movie that is not Marvel or Star Wars. 
for the Disney slate. So there's Marvel and Star Wars films, which of course make so much money. If you cut those franchises out, it's Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men's Chest, and then Finding Dory. So for openings, as far as openings go. Pretty cool and pretty exciting. You know, it's transitioning into legacy. You know, I openly went into this movie not very excited. From the moment this film was announced, I was not on board. I was not pumped. It definitely felt like a money grab for me. And even reading about the history of this film, uh, Disney did, you know, Disney, the parent company, did kind of poke and prod at Pixar and say, hey, how about those sequels? Hey, got a sequel? And um, they they asked Pixar if they were open to the idea. And Andrew Stanton, who is, you know, the original director of Finding Dory, said basically, no, never. There's I, I don't do sequels. I'm not going to. Um, but then he started thinking about a story, you know, separately and and finally came around to pitching it to Lasseter, who was definitely on board. And then after, you know, they kind of they hired a screenwriter, they then talk to Ellen, who, if you have any history with Ellen or the Ellen show, you know that for years, it was kind of this inside joke on her show that she was always being like, hey, Disney, Finding Nemo 2, hey, 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 (laughs) right? (laughs) So uh, her wish came true. Yeah. Well, she she tends to to campaign a lot for a lot of things, and it comes true generally. So um, word word of advice, when you stick to something long enough, it's probably going to wow. come your way. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you, what is it? Be careful what you wish for, for it will surely be yours or something like that. But I don't really think that Finding Dory was a bad thing. Like, I um, I didn't enjoy Cars 2, and I, th- that made me worry about this film. Like, that was so, like, centered around um, a side, a strong side character. Mm-hmm. And with um, with Cars 2, is like all Mater all the time. Just Mater, Mater, Mater. See you later, Mater Alligator. And... Like, sometimes making the the whole film around that, like, one... Like, that character's personality is so large that it, like, creates a vacuum or something like that. Or there's... It, it does this it's paradox overdose. thing where... It's overdose. Right. Yeah. And and there's nowhere, nowhere for them to go with the plot. It's just a bunch of crazy antics. And it turns into a movie about why we think Mater is funny, you know? Or putting <laughs> Mater, who is a redneck, in all these weird super spy situations with all these foreign people that he doesn't understand, you know? But I really think they did something cool with this. Like, the premise was not, uh, like, it wasn't unpredictable. Like, I I can definitely, I was like, oh, yeah, she finds a parent. Okay, I get it. You know? But I feel like they made it very fresh, and they introduced some very strong supporting characters. Mm Mm-hmm. That, in my opinion, are are just as cool as the ones that we found in Finding Nemo. I I guess it's safe to say that. And so I was pleasantly surprised. Also, one thing they did with Dory is they didn't really exploit some of her character traits or nuances from the first film that made us love her so much. But they gave us a backstory and they gave her new facets to her personality that allowed her to grow and not just be just this one note character. You know, it could have been a movie Mm -hmm. of her just with all these wacky, crazy dorky things right yeah dory things uh which there were moments of but it was a slightly more serious version of dory because she was really taking her mission seriously and it wasn't just all these wacky antics Mm -hmm. and i appreciated that because we did when we did get those funny moments i i i didn't feel fatigued from you know dory overload i actually really appreciated the fresh 
perspective that we had on her backstory, which helped you appreciate her as a character more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. I went into this not with high expectations. In fact, they were quite low. I had heard from a friend of a friend, whatever, you know, that type of thing. Um, basically that they had seen some parts of it and they weren't very excited. They were just like, eh, it was a meh type of a movie. And so I went in thinking it's probably going to be a meh, hopefully a little bit more than a meh type of a movie. Um, and then I came out just so floored of how how detailed they went into all of these characters, how how they just, they hit on the right notes at the right times. I felt like, as we were talking about the, like, too much Dory, like, there were a couple points, like, toward the beginning where I was like, okay, how much are they going to try and push this? I have, you know, short-term memory loss. Ah, because I feel like if they would have kept that going just, like, one more time, I'd been like, okay, please, like, <laughs> we've, we get it. We get it. <laughs> um, so I just, I feel like they really did a good great job actually um being able to as you guys said expand on her and make her feel like she's growing and and an actual friend and an actual part of the family oh yay um man the visuals really improved on this one i don't know we had like all this like you know the 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 light fog and like the little scum floating around in the water and the animation um i think was really good and like stuff like the kelp and like all the different parts of the of the forest where like or not the forest but like you know the kelp forest and like underwater and all the environments just kind of had their own personality and stuff and i really think that their technology has just gone so far and it's interesting because i was like you know uh piper and and blue umbrella are so photorealistic i wonder if they're going to try to go that route and if they're going to struggle to maintain that balance between photorealism or visuals that are true to life or that make sense in real life versus these cartoony characters. And um, I think they struck a good balance. I, um, you know, they had their, um, their traditional, you know, low point in the movie where all the colors are desaturated and everything's really dark and they had all that. And, and um, I was really impressed by it. Although, am I the only one who thinks that Marlon looked a little like outdated? Like his face just like lacks the dimensionality of the other characters. Maybe it's just clownfish, but his like all his facial muscles just seem kind of smushed into his head, and it just seemed a little <laughs> low res to me. I, I I felt like his he looked old. He's old. He's so <gasps> like old. wrinkled, you know, like just kind of his like under his eyes, and uh, it just reminds me of the the line. It's like you look worried. That's how I always look. <laughs> it's like yeah, you do. <laughs> Do you think that uh, Marlon and Nemo, do you think they served a good role in this one? Do you think they could have been left out? I don't think that we necessarily even need needed to have them, which really? is crazy because they're such staples from the first film, you know, especially Marlon. Marlon really is the driving force as he's finding Nemo. But we could have seen this movie completely without them. And I think it would have been fine. However, I don't think they would have made that movie because I think people would have been very disappointed of where's Marlon and Nemo, these beloved characters. So I think the fact that they were kind of just shunned to these secondary or almost tertiary characters, well, probably secondary, uh, was, it was a good, was a good thing. It allowed Dory to shine, but it really wasn't, Nemo and and Marlin's story at all. Yes, they were trying to find mm-hmm. Dory as Dory was trying to find herself more or less, but it 
could have done without. We could have just had Dory's story about how she was went on this adventure to find her parents and came back. And I think the overall story would have been well served. But I think it was fine having them. But if they were cut out, I don't think I'd miss them that much. It's tough because they weren't in the film that much, obviously, because the star of the show is Dory and she meets a cast of new characters. And so like Nemo and Marlin, they were on on screen for very little time and they had to make their time count. And so a lot of it was just kind of this like banter going back and forth. And like Marlin was like still like Marlin still does has trust issues. Like he didn't trust anyone mm -hmm. in the ocean when he was out looking for his son. Um, because of what happened in his past and he doesn't really trust dory to like get by on you know get by on her own you know mm -hmm. and uh and so he's still acting like the i mean he's still the the overprotected father yeah, and the, he doesn't um, want nemo to get lost again you know doesn't want to have to go out he hates the drop off <laughs> <laughs> why is it that every time we're here i lose someone um <laughs> but yeah, uh there's that and then there's um there's that moment when Marlon just gets fed up with Dory. He he does not have the patience for Dory's uh called a disability. Um or you know, or her her problem with her memory um that her parents had. And her parents are a whole new thing. But anyway, um and then Marlon says that thing like why don't you go and, and forget what happened because that's what you're good at, you know, and that Ooh, Nemo's like, whoa, hey, hey, hold it there, whoa, man. I feel like the flashback scene was well played at the beginning. Um, at first, I thought it was really gonna, like I said, I I, I had low expectations. So um, when they when they came in and it was, they're like, oh, they're just like replaying the whole thing again. You know, um, this is the back backstory, and um, I just felt like I felt like they did a really good job because they they had to bring in some of these characters. Um, like Nemo, like like Marlin, and even you know Mr. Ray and and the sea turtles and everything. The sea turtles was like it was great because they, really, <laughs> well, but it it does answer the question of how does he get from this side of the ocean to the other side of the ocean so quickly? <laughs> Didn't think through that, and did you, Pixar? I <laughs> and I want to be able to see the the cool turtles again because they're cool, you know. So I mean. Turtles happen to be like crossing at the exact same point when they're like, hey, guys, see, I disagree. <laughs> I I, like I feel I, I agree at the very beginning of this film. They were really rehashing a lot of the the popular moments from the original. You know, like we said, the mm -hmm. flashback uh, at the beginning, you know, of when someone was really young, then the drop off, then Mr. Ray and the turtles. And I felt like really once we hit the turtles, I was like, wow. Really, we were, we're doing this again because they didn't add any dimension to the turtles character. There was nothing new that they had provided. It was the exact same plot element uh, as introduced in the first film. I also was super confused as why little squirt hadn't even aged at all. Yet this was supposed to be a year <laughs> later. Um, maybe it's, that it's was Disney just me. Pixar aging. <laughs> I know, but I was like, <laughs> come on. Even Nemo is still I a know, year. I know, I know, I know. Only but, DreamWorks characters age characters age now. Thankfully, that was very short-lived, this kind of initial uh, premise building, and they jumped mm -hmm. to this new area, which was basically the West Coast, the Pacific, and jumped into Dory's story and kind of left everything from the first movie behind. It's They introduced it just to kind of, yeah, yeah, we have to hit our, our popular points for some reason, 
and then they leave that behind and it's it, then you're on a new journey at a new location with new characters and from that moment on I, I finally started getting into it and enjoying it while well, yeah. during the initial maybe f- first 15 minutes or however long it took I was just like here we are again like nothing new kind of what I had gone in expecting just a rehashing of the original yeah and that's what I was looking for for a while like getting back to uh getting back to crush and getting back to Mr. Ray I, I think they had to go into Mr. Ray just to kind of show um just to kind of show how the world is different now, you know, or how the world, it's still the same old world. Reestablish us back into that world. And then besides a few, like, cameos at the very, very end after the credits, yeah, there really isn't much after that. And and that was really cool. I I feel like, I feel like they did good with the new characters. You know how Disney sequels are with, like, new friends and new songs, you know? (laughs) The occasional character brought to life once again by the one and only Robin Williams, (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) But, yeah, um... I don't know. I like the new characters a lot. Crush was a very convenient way, plus it's like you couldn't have have a Finding Nemo, like, universe without Crush. Like, it was just... It was probably one of those non-negotiables. Probably. I mean, I was glad to see him in in a way. I, I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled in the fact that I was like, okay, we're doing this again, like the exact same way. I did find it very interesting how this entire movie was made up of comic duos. Comic so, duos. So, for example, yeah, uh, we we never change. Um, comic <laughs> duos in the fact that every it's true. That, that's an old school rotoscopers reference. That is like episode seven right there. Um, we have Marlon and Nemo and they're kind of dynamic and they, they're kind of, they're a one, like you don't have one without the other. And then, uh, the two sea lions, you know, those were fun. They, they were, you know, a duo. And then you have the mom and the dad, they were kind of together. They weren't really a comic or comedic duo, but they were like a pair. And then you have the two whales and then Dory and Hank, you know, it's just, Every little, the only basic, I mean, the only two that didn't have their comedic duo was Becky and Sigourney Weaver, so. Sigourney Weaver is omniscient. (laughs) Best ongoing joke of the whole movie. It really was. I really liked it. That was really cool. I loved it. I'm a strong supporter of Sigourney Weaver. She was, she was, (laughs) she was amazing in Alien. (laughs) And uh, all her movies are great, but, um. Regarding the Institute and regarding Sigourney Weaver, I have a I have a Pixar theory for y'all. It was it was postulated by our very own Rachel Wagner. And if y'all are cool and behave yourselves like my Sunday school class, I will tell you the <laughs> Pixar theory at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the episode. All right. Oh, we haven't even talked about one of the best duos in the movie, which were Dory's parents in the first place. It, you mm. know, I love it so much that they just they had a pair. Her parents are golden. This this movie isn't about her parents becoming good parents or her parents learning how to, um, you know, how to thrive how, how dare or they how to support her. her in her disability. Um, there's no moment where they're like, you lied to me, you know, or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know, Dory trusts you. <laughs> you don't really have short term yeah. memory loss. Yeah. OK. Was that a yeah. OK. Or is that like a yeah. OK. Or was that a yeah. OK. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, okay. Her parents are so sweet and so supportive, and they are so, like, oh, they're just great. They're, like, the golden standard for this film. 
like Marlin could take some lessons from these people. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad they didn't have to go into the subplot of them ac- actually being terrible parents. And, I- and I'm glad that they didn't have like the mom be the dad be good and the mom be bad or the mom be patient with Dory and the dad be un- not understanding. Like I'm mm-hmm. glad they didn't do that. I'm glad that they established that. Yes, there are some really good parents out there who try really hard and have it down working yeah. with children who who have um you know um who have memory loss or any type of disability, you know. Yeah. How they were very much a a team and they were very much, you know, very aware and very um their their goal was to help her and all things. And even when she did mess up, it was like they went out of their way to make sure that she was happy. You know, because she was already having these issues. She was already, ha- like, going to feel sad about it because it's not something she can control. It, and so they're just trying to, like, help it her. It wasn't that they did; they weren't struggling. Like, they're not perfect. Like, um, there's the flashback that she had um, th- where she remembers seeing her mom kind of breaking down or kind of needing some support from her husband because it is hard for her. And she was scared for Dory. Like, is she going to be able to make it? You know, when she gets rehabilitated and released out in the in the open water, was she going to be okay? And so, I guess one of the morals of this story is that it, you don't you don't have to be the perfect parent, um, but there's a way to go through the struggle and find joy in life, no matter who your child is, um, without taking your frustration out on them or without becoming cold or 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 distant. You know, and so um, it's a very very big example for. Parents in general, but also special needs parents or parents of children with special needs. Yeah, I think it was a story of unconditional love. Like it, it, they, she had her disability, and they did their best to raise her and and help her grow. And even when she was lost, they still didn't give up on her. It didn't matter that she had X, Y, or Z. It was just because of her, who she was. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First time I saw the movie, because I have seen it twice. it's been out a week, <laughs> um, but I, I, the first time I saw it, I didn't get emotional at all, and I just kind of watched it and, I, and kind of took it in. But the second time I saw it, man, I, I really started to feel it, and I really cried. I was mm. just like, "This is, I'm so glad that you found each other and that you overcame this, and that you, you can do it." And it's, it's one of those. It really made you, kind of like evaluate yourself again, like, ah, this. You know, overcome things. You know, yeah, good. that final scene where it shows just all those trails of shells oh. was very, mm-hmm. very impactful. And I think, you know, they just do that wide shot and you just see everything that her parents have done over this past year. It, it's, it was a really cool scene. I did not cry at any time during the movie. I know a lot of people have. Did you, Mason? I came close with the shells. Yeah, I came close. Watch it again. I promise. I think you I will. actually did. <laughs> I, I think promise, I teared up but... <laughs> a little bit with the good dinosaur. I think. But anyway, hey, I got a I got a question. So, did she bump into that same pillar at the beginning of the movie that her parents were living under, or was that like a flashback? Because I remember seeing that pillar. Like, there's all the kelp, and then there's that pillar. It was some time before the movie. Uh, it's like when she first arrives because she's underneath that that boardwalk. I don't yeah. know if it was the exact yeah. same one. Oh, I really hope it wasn't. It'd be like, freaking Hello? August rush all over again. <laughs> but uh, 
y'all know how I feel about that. I, I, I hate it when they do this in the movies where they're looking for someone and, and they barely miss them. You know, like there's a UPS truck in front of them or, or they didn't look the right way or, or, you know, something like that. They just barely miss each other. And they have to go through the whole movie to like grow and get over their personal conflicts and wrap up the story. And then they find each other. Like, I'm not a fan of that. And so I was like, <laughs> mm, trigger warning, Mason. <laughs> but, uh, but that was a really cute touch with the shells. Like th- their parents put their faith in the one thing that Dory always remembered. And that's like, that's really sweet. It's a really cool story. Like nugget there. Yeah. You know, one thing that I, I noticed the first time, but I didn't notice the second time. But the first time, I just, I really appreciated how there was this one moment, like right right when Dory is meeting with her family and it's a, such a sweet and tender thing, the, the lighting in the ocean was a little bit darker and a little bit warmer, kind of like wrapped around her. Aww. And the music itself, this there was this one specific moment when... The, when she got her idea of, oh my gosh, I have to go find Marlon and Nemo. And right then the lighting just like brightened up ever so slightly and the music changed in that moment. And I was like, how do you do it? I just, all of these things all going into one. I was really impressed with just the finite details of that, just to really in like engulf you with everything. And the, how did you guys feel about the music? I mean, I, I thought it was good um the music itself it wasn't for me it didn't like stand out until the specific songs with words um but in moments like that i appreciated that he was able to really lay the foundation and it wasn't something that you were really supposed to notice i don't think yeah i didn't notice the music one way or another i mean going back i don't think of any moment where it was super impactful to me or that I just remember. I, I feel like the Inside Out soundtrack was very, very, very re- memorable. And you could be like, oh, yeah, there was a piano that had this little tune and this. But yeah. Finding Dory, mm-hmm. I don't I couldn't tell you one thing about the soundtrack, not saying that it was a bad soundtrack, but I don't think it was what, really one of those soundtracks that really stood out. I'm not sure if it was supposed to. Yeah, exactly. That's so not a bad thing either way. So the ending... Whoa, we're what jumping right to the end? The holy, holy cow. Well, no, 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 no. Okay, There's not yet. one it's character just... I want to talk about, and that is Hank. Yeah, we got to talk about all the new characters. <laughs> I, <laughs> all right, all right. I love Breakout Ed characters. O'Neil. Let's hear it. He is my favorite character on Modern Family, and I love him even more than Ty Burrell. And um, I thought he was great. So, one, Hank is a, tech, like, he is a technical marvel of animation. Like there's all sorts of features on, on YouTube and the internet and stuff going around with like how much it took, um, to make him invisible. How, well, how much, well, for one, I think it's, I think it's like a two week development and creation time for like a shader for like a character's like skin. But this one took 22 weeks, probably partially because they had to figure out how to blend the surfaces together and also he had to mimic all the surfaces in the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can't you can't just turn on transparency and turn it off like it's a little more complicated than that <laughs> but not only that but all the points of articulation on his tentacles and and how where his center of gravity was going to be like planning all that like like i would love to sit down and hear um hear a presentation on just the rigging for hank and uh, all the control systems and stuff these bigger studios, man, when they they make their controls for their animators, like it's almost down to like a molecular level how exact they can be, so they can really get those uh those expressions and and poses and things and 
and and hank like i was watching him and it was like watching the joker in the dark knight it's like how is this happening in front of me like this is such an amazing performance only it was for an animated film and so i i haven't felt i haven't felt this way about an animated character since penguins of madagascar with dave who is also <laughs> an octopus which is amazing uh, octopuses do very well davy jones dave from um from uh penguins of madagascar hank from this movie ursula Famous octopuses okay. in animation. I think you're just an octophile. I, hmm. <laughs> yeah, that means different things in different countries, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't want to look that up. Let's not look that up, in, just in case. <laughs> Someone else Google it for us. And then, um, but yeah, I, I just find them. Actually, my own art, I tend to draw, you know, things with tentacles and things with these beautiful, you know, cur spline curves for their arms and stuff like that, and you know, the kraken and all that stuff. And um, it's very, very challenging. I mean, but I, I loved Hank. The one thing I didn't understand about him was his motivations. He is, he is visibly like, he is very afraid of the ocean. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to go back. Mm -hmm. Did we establish why he doesn't want to go back to the ocean? No, did I, I thought we were, no, I thought we were going to get to that point and we never did. We, we just kind of were, was given this reasoning for why he wanted to leave and then just took it from there. It was never revealed to us, even at the end why he had this fear of what should be a, maybe a refuge for some um or, or not even not even a refuge why he would be a prison right most people would want to get out and go back to freedom go back to the ocean but he wanted to stay in and did he wants everything to go to, yeah. yeah and Cleveland it, just, it and wasn't clear and it still well, kind of question he was mark. a septopus he was a septopus but why, so, yeah i mean but that wasn't answered either. Maybe like when he lost his tentacle, he lost his tentacle, and it was it was a bad experience. Well, he had a bad experience. A bad experience. <laughs> nice. Um, maybe he got into the food processor again. By know? the way, it, <laughs> maybe octophile is someone who loves the eighties. So, oh, I'm, sure I'm an octophile. I'm I love sure the you're 80s. that too. moment by your resident octophile mason smith why do we think that hank and dory were paired up was it just because they were so opposite in temperament right you had a, it, it's a classic storytelling technique is like take a character with this personality and pair them with someone with the worst person you could always pair you could ever pair them up with right. or put put take the main character and put them in and take their motivations and their desires and personality and put them in the worst place they could possibly be which happens a lot in, in Pixar films. And so I think that right. Hank and Dory make a good character because um, Hank is so completely annoyed by Dory and he learns to kind of have a heart, you know, you know, for a guy with three hearts. Well, I, I, I thought about that. And then I also thought, well, there's also the, the fact that they both have something wrong with them. I mean, I think this whole movie is kind of like everybody has something wrong. <laughs> well, they are being rehabilitated. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, this used to be a, a Sea World park, wrong. you know, back in in earlier years. But with um with that CNN documentary that came out, Blackfish, um yeah, Blackfish, um I guess they felt a little social pressure and decided to change it to something a little more light heart, a little more happier, a little more positive, which is a fish rehabilitation um 
center and i uh, i have a, a little sister who's in wildlife and fisheries and forestry management or something like that and she's a big proponent of of rehab centers where people can educate themselves on these animals rather than you know basically circus theme parks where these animals are kind of um some would say you know forced to perform and they go crazy in these confined places and so it's it it helps avoid that from a social standpoint and it also helps avoid the humans being the bad guys like pixar is always yeah pixar always makes humanity the bad guy but in a very subtle way that doesn't that isn't the main conflict of the film it's just an afterthought or a reminder or whatever and i i don't think i would have enjoyed the film as much if there was like a psychotic sushi chef who breaks into <laughs> SeaWorld and wants to make a beluga whale burger or something like le that. Poisson, le poisson, le poisson. What is this? <laughs> um, and then, um, or, uh, you know, oh, it could have been um, the evil chef from Ratatouille, you know? He's you up go. to no good and he wants to make a blue tang sushi and there are, <laughs> there's, just a, there's just a tank full of blue tangs. But anyway, so let's talk about the other new characters. So we have Bailey, the beluga. <laughs> Pew! Oh, my new special power. <laughs> I love Ty Burrell. Uh, I can hear everything you're saying. You're t- I know you're talking, know you're talking about me. Does anyone, <laughs> any of you so kids want to talk about echolocation? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Ty Burrell is my I man. Was, okay, I liked Bailey good. and... I thought that I thought that his use of echolocation was a little unrealistic, but it's a it's a Pixar film, it's an animated film, I know. Um, stylized, stylized. But I, it was really interesting how they cast Ty Burrell. Do y'all remember Mr. Peabody and Sherman? Yes. yes. Was that not a, a very interesting and inventive casting choice for Ty Burrell? Like he went in there and he wasn't Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Like he made his own character, or he he. He molded to Mr. Peabody. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was wise and he was knowledgeable and he was calculating and he was very left-brained, whereas uh, I feel like Tyrell oftentimes plays a very right-brained person, someone who works off of intuition and emotion, kind of like yours truly. And sometimes, I feel like hardcore animation fans, they like turn their nose up to productions where they cast a Hollywood actor to play themselves, basically, mm-hmm. you know? Like your Samuel L. Jackson's or um, Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver as Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> right? And um, and like, like I don't want Pixar to necessarily go that route. I I liked how they used Tom Hanks as Woody. Who was was Lightyear again? What's his name? Alan Tim Allen. Tim Allen. Okay, Tim Tom Allen. Hanks. Tim Allen. Yeah, and t- like I feel like they were all pretty inventive and like Bugs Life, maybe not so much. I don't know, but I. I I like it when they bring in voice actors who like invent a new character for themselves. Kind of like when we, t- when we talked about like Don Bluth bringing in Tom Selleck and he just wanted Tom Selleck. He didn't want Tom Selleck to do this dog voice that he worked, you know, several <laughs> weeks on. So, you know, I just, guess it's just, about just name recognition and stuff like that, but yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of the landscape that we, we live in right now. I mean, yeah. recently uh, I posted an article about the new, my Little Pony, the movie logo was released. And in there, it was, there's the same voice actresses who play the main six as they are known. But then it was like, also a great cast of A-list celebrities. I'm like, yep, that's just the world <laughs> we live in. Pony. Well, I'm sure that the Brony community would love to be val- feel validated by having these big time celebrities voice in their movie. But 
Um, I feel like it's a lot about that. It's a like it's like fans, like fans of Ellen DeGeneres will see this movie because like Ellen DeGeneres' personality is very much ingrained in Dory. Like that's probably why they cast her in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'm not being really hard on this on this policy. I just think it's interesting that there is definitely a difference where it's like a celebrity basically playing themselves versus a big time voice celebrity like transforming into a completely new character. And that's totally up to production and the director and stuff. Like obviously these stars don't have a a say. Hollywood man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the other new Obviously. character was the whale shark. Oh, yeah. Who also is known Destiny. as Destiny. Aww. I thought she was really adorable. I love the moments where she was just sitting there and she was kind of swimming around in her tank, just bumping into things. Because we've all been there. We've been in an aquarium or something where just one of the creatures is just totally out of it. And They're having a bad day. Yeah, I laughed every time she <laughs> ran into something. It was just kind of funny. Heartless, near, Morgan. A, a nearsighted. Uh, whale shark i must add yeah yeah you know it's funny everyone in especially these three new characters that we meet at the sanctuary uh, hank is missing a limb bailey has this self-imposed illness on himself that he had lost his echolocation and then destiny has this nearsightedness that she needs to overcome and it's just interesting that everyone seems to have their own thing that they have to work to overcome or grow and develop yeah you know. Well, it makes sense for the the, the park that they're in. Uh, yes, particularly yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, talking about the location, so that's one thing that I really did enjoy about this movie is that we were instead of just being in the deep blue sea, we had a new location that really separated this from the first film, where we're yeah. in this uh, marine wildlife. Uh, rehabilitation, you know, park, which was really exciting, you know, and definitely understood why they went that route versus like a sea world or whatnot. But it Mm -hmm. made this movie feel so completely separate and different, allowed for new situations, new characters. I think if this was just ran searching, you know, aimlessly in the ocean, it would have very much felt like finding Nemo. And so this new setting where the majority of the film does happen, I think really set it apart and made it work Uh, And it was just they were able to be very clever with how she was able to move from tank to tank. And, you know, I I really have a hard time believing that a a location like that has slots in the pipes in between tanks that are so big that fish can just slide right through them. I feel like this would be uh, a problem that not just Dory was going to fall through, but thousands of fish, especially in that big tank, were Dory size or smaller and definitely would have gone through the pipes. So. That doesn't seem very very realistic to me. But then again, I highly doubt uh, this crazy pigeon carrying two fish in a pail is realistic either. So I need to ignore any of that. Speaking of pipes, Pixar. I mean, I've seen, I've gone to you know places like that and seen like the random fish. It's like, how did he get in over here? So (laughs) he doesn't look like he belongs. Yeah. um, (laughs) Can I just talk about pipes for a second? Uh, Destiny and Dory established that they were pipe buddies and then right afterward they're like yeah just go through that pipe turn a left a left and then a right and Dory has this huge problem and it doesn't occur to them then that that Destiny can talk her through the pipes but it but they did it an hour later you know well because she couldn't see in the pipes well Well, yeah they used echolocation to get a echolocation. yeah but all she had to do was go a left a left and a right so all the whale had to do was talk her through it 
Yes, but sh- but yeah. there was no way to know whether Dory was on the first stage or the second stage, right? Like you could take Dory's word for it, but what if she was actually at the second left and it was the first? And okay, you know what I mean? I I guess, right? Well, all right, all right. I think we're overanalyzing this a bit too much. Well, I noticed it. I was like, oh, just just talk through the pipes now. And they're like, no, there's no other way. We have to take the psychotic pigeon. What was up with that pigeon? Yeah, Am I the only that... person who didn't like Becky? Yeah, I liked that was Becky. a very odd <laughs> character, but you, you yeah, can't, it you is can't what it is. top the seagulls. Well, I feel like trying mine, to top mine. the seagulls, seagulls were the two seals. You know, oh, the mine, dude. mine, mine, and then Gerald. off, 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 off. <laughs> But it was so true because we've all seen seagulls that act that way, and we've all seen seals, or at least seen people that act that way. You know, (laughs) exactly. Yes, yes. it reminds me of Secret Life of Pets with that little that little pug who brings up the uh, the pillow up onto the seat so he can bark at something, and then it goes away, and then he's then he's fine. You know, oh, Secret Life of Pets. Yeah, um, you can't miss Idris Elba. It's like Bill Hader and Idris Elba. I'm surprised Maya Rudolph wasn't in this film. Where was she? Surely she She's... she was in talks to be in it, but she had to voice for about eight other animated films so she could make this one. But, uh, you know, Idris Elba, he talks like this in all his films. You're fired. But anyway, I really like that part. So... We're talking about animals with disabilities. So what disability does Gerald have and what gives them the right to be so mean to him? Like, is Gerald the is oh. Gerald dumb? Or is Gerald just the guy that no one likes? He kind of has this look that he's a little oh. slow. He's like the Ed, right? <laughs> Ed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Well, um, that was like the sad thing about that. Is it like it, you... He seemed to definitely have some sort of impairment, and yet he was completely being picked on, probably for that reason, which was like, hmm, is that a well, good maybe- thing to teach any event? And yeah, they just continued to, they didn't learn, they would just, at the very, 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 very end, right, still on their rock, off, well, off, off, off. Well, maybe he doesn't have a disability, he- he's just, he's just not um, as pretty as the other sea lions, and so they pick on him for that, so, I don't maybe. know, uh. I, I thought he had kind of a Peter Lorre vibe to him. He does get up and he's got that look like, hey, 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 I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought so. that was cute. They were they were like the new seagulls. Definitely. Mine. <laughs> good old, good old seagulls. I just want to say I felt like they spent more time out of water than in water in this film. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, did did anybody, did y'all or anybody think that Hank was going to be kind of a Lotso Hug and Bear villain at the end? I didn't. No. Which was good because I feel like we'd maybe been conditioned to think that after all these different yeah. movies. Oh my gosh. There really wasn't a villain per se. Oh, Dory, if only there was a fish who loved you. <laughs> <laughs> One thing um, I did like before we kind of talk about wrapping things up in the ending is... Uh, this movie had quite a few flashbacks of Dory, ah. mm-hmm. and they were kind of peppered in at various moments as Dory is discovering new things. And I really liked that. I mean, can we talk mm-hmm. about baby Dory? Her eyes are so mm-hmm. big, they're just popping out of the sides of She's her head. all eye. <laughs> so She's like I, that little bug-eyed dude that Chum had at the... At the support, the shark support group. He was that like little guy. He's like, totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She so cute, let's talk yeah. about this crazy, crazy ending. So Dory gets out. She finds her parents. But then, oh, I need to go find Nemo and Marlin because they're my family, too. Which, you know, is 
awesome and great. Of course, they're inside uh, heading to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, they can't like, go to the Cleveland. It's, it's, it's like, uh, wait, I found you, but I left these people, but now we're in trouble, but now we're going to die, but now they're going to die. It's like, okay, everybody stop. We just need to not be in a state where we're going to die all at once and we'll be okay. <laughs> like, you stay here. Don't do anything. I'm going to go rescue them. You know, and then five seconds later, it's like, it's like that game Lemmings. But anyway. I, as you're talking about, I just think about the moment when she actually realizes or she thinks that her parents are dead and just like oh, everything just goes man. crazy. It was just like panic ooh. attack. That's a straight up animated panic attack. Mm-hmm. They did a great job of animating that, too, because you're just like, uh, I can't. Take I felt it. really bad um, for her then, just like I felt really bad for Jesse when she was having her panic attack in Toy Story 2. Like it was very much mm. driving that kind of vibe home. Yeah. I thought the ending with the crazy um, scene with the truck and, you know, Hank driving the truck and whatnot, I, that's when it started just going. I mean, it was just like, just go with it, I guess. Yeah. Hank grabs There's a gun, starts I... shooting out the police's tires. It's, it's <laughs> America's most wanted is a septopus. Yeah, at that point, there was really nothing you could do with it. And I'm sure the filmmakers were like, yes, we know this is completely absurd, but just go with it, people. Just go with it. And it's particularly hit the high point when they are flying off, you know, the cliff and the music plays. That's clouds of white. The pinnacle of yes, we know this is ridiculous. Here, we're gonna put this song on top of this moment. Just that yes. song. Enjoy it. I'm sorry. I just think that song is the most cliche song to play in an animated film. It's like that's Madagascar why they did, did it. it years ago. That's why they did <laughs> it. I guess good. you know. It, it, it almost worked. validated how crazy the whole scene was by playing that yeah. and doing the slow mo. It was like, okay, yes, they this, they are very much acknowledging this is absurd. I'm glad. And that then Hank- that made made it almost okay. <laughs> I, it, yeah. I guess it did. I mean, any other studio, I suppose. But um, I'm glad that Hank had the common sense to get them out of the way of the truck. Um, he was smarter than Mrs. Incredible, you know. And, uh, you know, when they were in the ocean. Mm, true, and true. so I was, I was glad for that little detail. <laughs> Watch the truck should have plowed through him and just killed him in and cut to black in the end credits. I was, I was concerned. I'm like, ah, they're right here. Truck is coming. They're dead. They're dead. Oh, no, they moved. Okay, we're good. One of them's oh. going to die, but they're not really going to die because it's Finding Nemo. I don't know. All right, so Easter eggs. Did you guys catch any? Did anyone get the John Ratzenberger? It was a tough one. I did not. He didn't talk did like not. this. Where was he? he was, was he the, the sick fish? He was the crab who was mowing the lawn. They <laughs> altered his voice to be a little squeakier. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, okay. So other Easter eggs, I did not see and these. No credit goes to me. I'll include a link in the show notes of where uh, sharp-eyed viewers have been able to find Pixar Easter eggs. So the first one, the classic Pixar ball, that was found in the actual um, rehabilitation marine rehabilitation center uh there was a kind of a kid zone uh, and you can see that kind of in the kid zone around there which totally makes sense the uh, pizza planet truck when they're first getting on the road there's kind of a traffic jam and the truck is on the freeway there um the a113 is found in two different places the first place it's on the tags of the two sea lions. Uh, one says A1 uh, and the other one says 1-3. Yeah. 
And then okay. there also is a license plate that says C A L A one one three, which is like Cal Arts or Cal A one one three. Yeah. Um. Yep. And then let's see, what are the other big Easter eggs? Those are the kind of the main ones, right? Uh, Ratzenberger, the ball, uh, Luxo Junior. I do they? I don't think Lux? he's a. Nor- I don't think he's a regular one. No, no. So, anyways, that was. Those were some of the big Easter eggs mm. that have been found. There's also quite a few more that are in here. Uh, there's also a, I this one doesn't necessarily. There's a a Wall E calendar in the first area where Hank finds Dory that's on the right. wall. There okay. is a Wall E calendar. Oh, there is a cute. magnet that looks like uh, that is from lava. Oh, and. Darla makes a cameo. There's a oh, photo yeah. of <laughs> her in photo. the way in the background. So, yeah, I will just include a link. There's a cool other um, inside Easter eggs, so you can find those yourself. And if you have found ones that aren't on this list, definitely let us know in the comments at rotoscopers.com slash 126. I felt like this movie had much more of a close than Finding Nemo did. Like this one, they like actually go out to the drop-off and they're enjoying the view. Um, I felt like that it, it kind of ended in a different way. Like I, it left me happy that she found her way and, and she did it. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of like a, a, okay. I don't know. It was an interesting feeling that I had with the ending. I feel the same way as Marlon. Nobody ever go to the drop off again. We're done. Close the story. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't stay for the credits, although I was we were piling out of the theaters and the theater and I watched I saw all the Hank, you know, stuff, which was cute. And uh, I mean, the animators should definitely show off. Hank's awesomeness. But uh, you didn't stay for the ending ending credits. No, I, I know. I know that the ending ending credit scene. I know what it's about or like what's in it. Um I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, wouldn't they run out of air in their bags <laughs> after a year? But yeah, that seemed very unrealistic as well. <laughs> it just seemed very fatalist. Come on. It just seemed very fatalist. Like I was really rooting for them in the first movie and now they're still in those bags and they're, they land right into captivity again or something like that. That's, I thought it was funny. I liked it because you, you kind of did want to see them again. And so it was nice to have them back. And I just thought it was funny. This, how did we feel as this as a sequel? It was the, the better sequel by Pixar. I think I enjoyed it more than Monsters University. And I think I definitely enjoyed it more than Cars 2. And so, um, I mean, he's for hoping that Cars 3 will be pretty good. So someone else asked in the comments, how did you feel about so what is what would you prefer this one or Zootopia, which are the kind of the two heavy hitters Ooh. of animation this year? I prefer Zootopia. They they both had a really good good feel for him. Um, this one got me more emotionally than Zootopia did, but Zootopia was so thought provoking. Yeah, they they so. were definitely provoking, but yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed Zootopia because I guess I gotta go Anthro more than like stylistic fish and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know if I would compare the two. I like them. I like them both. I don't I don't need to have a ranking, I guess. Perfect. We will not have a ranking. However, if you have a ranking, let us know in the comments at rotoscopers.com slash one, two, six. 
All right. So before we give our final thoughts and ratings, we have two voicemails. So those of you who are listening to this podcast and you sent a voicemail in, but it hasn't been played. Like we said, we did record this a little earlier. So the cutoff for for voicemails were basically those who were the very, very early birds. They got the worm. There are two people who have sent um voicemails in we will listen to those and then um, if we do get some additional ones and have time we might add some additional ones uh, reviews in for the audio version so if you're listening to this and you're like what are you talking about there's 17 voicemails (laughs) it's because we've added them in after the fact and that's why we won't be commenting on them because anyway that's basically inside baseball that no one cares about let's get to our first one which is daniel take it away daniel Hey, Roscopers, it's Daniel. I thought I'd uh, hey, Daniel. leave a voicemail for your uh, Finding Dory episode, because why not? Um, I just got back from seeing a late-night screening of it, and uh, I, I was really excited to see this movie because I love the first one. Uh, I grew up with it. It was the first movie I ever saw in theaters, so nostalgia is obviously a big thing for me with this movie and most Pixar films. And uh, so I didn't really know if this one was going to be as good as the first one. Uh, I mean, how could they how could they top what they did with Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo is a near-perfect movie, at least I think. Not exactly one of my higher-up favorite Pixar films, but I love it nonetheless, and it's pretty, pretty untouchable. So is it crazy to say that I think I like Finding Dory better? Um... Whoa! I, I, I think what I liked better about it was the emotion. Um, Finding Nemo had funny moments and um, kind of sad moments, but to me, Finding Dory, the funny moments had me laughing out loud in the theater, and the sad moments had me holding back tears. So Aww. I think for that, that's probably why I like Finding Dory better. That and I love the new characters that they brought to the story, and uh, uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, great movie. So, I had two questions. Uh, one of them was, "What is your favorite quote from the movie?" Um, mine is at the very beginning when Dory is a guppy and she's playing hide and seek with her parents, and uh, this one line had everyone in the theater howling, and me included. And it's when she goes. I like sand. That I don't know why it just it was it was great. <laughs> um, and second off Aww. is there since Toy Story Four is coming out, I was wondering is there a sequel to a Pixar film you would be more interested in seeing other than Toy Story Four? The Toy Story trilogy is my most favorite Pixar film, one of my favorite trilogies, and Toy Story is my favorite animated film. But I'm more interesting more interested in seeing an Incredibles 2. I think the first one was tailor-made for sequel. Hello! And I would be much more interested in seeing what they do with those characters because they've already done a lot with the Toy Story characters, and I'm not too interested in them reopening the series after closing it so perfectly. So that's all I had to say. Thanks for everything. Thanks for uh, your time, and uh, thank you. Well, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, Um, thanks. Okay, he had two qu- he had two questions. First one was, "What is your favorite quote from the film?" What the carp? There is another way. <laughs> that one was one of my favorites. <laughs> um, hmm. I didn't. 
I'd have to watch it again to know what my favorite line was. The only one I can think of is off, off, off. Off, 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 off. I liked uh, when Dory um, misunderstands and thinks that she has to explain the birds and the bees. Uh. <laughs> oh, why like, me? Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, didn't think I would... <laughs> Didn't think I would have to give this talk. Uh, okay, uh, well, <laughs> when two and... fish love each other, and <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ray shuts her down. I like that one. And then the second one was: Is there a Pixar sequel upcoming, or imaginary, or otherwise that we'd be more excited to see than Cars Three? Right? No. Or Toy oh, Story Four. Toy Story Four. Incredibles Two. Yeah, The Incredibles Two. That's that's the one that Daniel said, and uh, I'm I'm we're right with you there, man. I want to see, like superhero films are so in vogue now i don't think yeah. we'll ever get sick of them we need to see pixar take a stab at that again again ha 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 again pirates so, again. kind of like all right next one is dylan who sent us his review dylan. so let's check out dylan dylan Hey, Chelsea, Morgan, and Mason. It's Dylan, and I hope you're having a wonderful summer so far. Hi, Dylan. I just got out of a screening of Finding Dory, and I honestly loved it, and it was super cute, and I just have some things to say about it. Um, first off, I'm not, like, a huge fan of Pixar's sequel-itis, but um, I also know that this is a business, and it's inevitable. So I do think that if these sequels must exist, um, then they should be this good. I think it's worth making alone for Ellen DeGeneres as Dory. The whole movie really is kind of hinged on her emotional performance, and I remained invested the whole way through, which I think is really important. It's really also nice to see updated character designs. One thing I do like about these sequels and prequels is that it's really cool to see how far Pixar has come with their animation and characters. So it's kind of nice to see old friends look all new and shiny. I do think that the memories in the movie were kind of divisive, but I thought it was also a good way to keep the plot going. And it's also like really awesome to see little Dory because she's so freaking adorable. Agreed. I do think like these these sequels are generally harmless. Like this one is not as good as Finding Nemo, but it doesn't ruin Finding Nemo at all. It might even make Finding Nemo a little bit better in a way. I just had a really good night at the movies, which is what's important. I'm Sigourney Weaver. Thank you for joining me. Aw, awesome. <laughs> With the Sigourney Weaver impersonation. I love it. Dylan, thank you so much for leaving your voicemail. You have a very mature view of the animation industry and in that you recognize that sometimes these, like, milking the cash cow just has to happen. And there's a Gotta lot that goes into it. There's more... I don't know from from the artists that I have had contact with in various studios like it exists the politics and the bureaucracy and like the deciding based on money rather than art and uh, it happens to one degree or another all the time in every studio Um, there's no animation studio that's exempt from it and it's just a reality but um, Pixar does such a masterful job of, of elevating animation to an art form. I don't think that having the politics and the money and everything is necessarily a bad thing either. Definitely because not. It, I mean, if you didn't have to make the best movie in order to get the most money, you know, it wouldn't push you to make a better movie. You know, it's all these things that they, they'd have to happen in order for you to, to really push yourself. So I'm fine. I have no qualms with, I mean, well, maybe not no qualms. I just hope that they do it well. <laughs> 
you know, uh, I think people are coming with higher expectations and, and that'll eschew the, the rating that they give it or how they enjoy it. As, as far as if this is going to be a, a have a third, um, I think that it's definitely going to be finding flow. <laughs> finding back, Bruce, you know? man. It's all about finding Bruce. <laughs> He never funny. knew his father. That's that's gold. <laughs> that's your story right there. You can have a story <laughs> he never about knew his father. you can have a story about a fearsome shark who meets his father and has to and struggles <laughs> with proving to his father that he's a real shark. But he and in the inside he doesn't want to eat fish. And wait, I'm wait. wait they already wait. made that movie. Sorry, <laughs> back away. They already made Finding Bruce. It's called Shark Tale. <laughs> anyway. Oh, awesome. Hello, everyone. It's Steppers. It's me, Sarah, again. And I did just get to see Finding Dory, and I really loved it. I'm about to listen to the live stream on it. And it was just a really stellar movie, and I can't wait to watch it again. I loved everything. I loved the sea lions and daughters, especially. And Dory. Dory was great. But yeah, I have to give it a, can give it a four and a half out. No, I mean, just give it a four out of five. Also, congratulations to Morgan and Chelsea and Mason. Nothing that I forgot you. I still love all three of you. Bye, guys. All right. So, what would you guys rate this film? Um, so, leaving the theater for me, I felt like I I really wanted to watch it again when it was done, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, as far as like, I could watch this again right now. And, you know, when you were a kid, you're like, you actually did. You had the VHS and you were like, rewind, let's do it again. <laughs> um, so I felt like this was had a lot of that. And I really liked the one-liners. I feel like that, that they were both, um, they, they both shined in both movies. And they kind of accentuated each other. And just like what Dylan said is that it made the story of Finding of finding Nemo better having this story in there to kind of complete the whole journey. Um, so I'm, Oh, I'm going vacillating between four and 4.5. And I, mm, I think I'm going to give it 4.5 because I, I actually did cry the second time I watched it. Holy cow. So she didn't cry when old yeller died. Actually I did. Oh, uh, at least I not in front very... of her friends. <laughs> I don't watch those movies in front of people. <laughs> oh. I was quoting a country music song, Chelsea. I thought you would know. What did you rate it, Mason? Who, me? Yeah. You want to know what I rated this film? What uh, do you think? I want to know. I don't know. Three and a half, four. Let's just go with four. I don't want the Pixar people to like grab their torches and pitchforks. Well, you need to be honest. Who cares what the Pixar people think? What do you think? Those people. Um... Four out of five stars. It was really good. Like, all right. It was really great I, for a sequel. I don't know. I don't know. I have to go back to my ratings and and see if uh, I've rated a Pixar film lower than this. But I don't know. I, it was it was really good. Like, very well done. I am also going to give it four out of five stars. I really thoroughly enjoyed this film. I thought that it had a lot of comedic moments tied with 
uh, very emotional moments. It was somewhat yeah. unexpected in how well everything came together. I loved everything that was done as far as the new characters that were introduced, the new settings, the new side of Dory that we didn't really get to see in the other films. And so I think for those reasons, it made this film very fresh, not necessarily as you know, spectacular as Finding Nemo is. Not saying that it's that much further down, however. I feel like it's at least at par, slightly below. Uh, so four stars for that reason. And um, I want to give props to Andrew Stanton because, you know, he had just come back from, oh, what was that movie that he did? And it was like this huge flop. Um, John Carter, right? And was it John Carter? Is that the movie? Yes, John Carter. And I feel like he was given this chance in live action and it just the movie, just the way that it was promoted by Disney and, and whatnot, audiences just really didn't take to it. And he is an incredible filmmaker. And I'm just really grateful that Pixar said, hey, come back. We love you. We know who you are. We know the storyteller that you are. We appreciate your work. And he was able to come back. And I was glad that he was actually open to, you know, making a sequel when he'd kind of been like no sequels, um, no capes. And I, I I appreciate this movie. I feel that it really does pair quite 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 nicely with the original. So, um, reading out ratings from those in the live chat. So we have Animation Nerd Girl, who gave it nine point four out of ten, which is a four point two out of five. We Rachel Wagner also gives it four out of oh no no she says four out of five is fair. She's commenting on Mason's review. Um, Fadi gave it, what did he give it? He gave it something and then it disappeared. So I'm not quite sure what happened to his <laughs> review. Well, the, the chat, oh, seven out of ten. Chat, seven out of ten. The chat auto updates when someone types something new. So gotcha. it's kind of hard to track it. And then Fallow Skies gives it three out of five. So kind of all over the map. Um, no five out of fives for sure. Although the 4.2. I, I saw five out of five earlier. You did? Okay. So there's just so many people chatting. I just can't keep up. Right? We're so popular. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> all 12 live viewers that we have so anyways thank you so much for those who did join live and were involved in the discussion you guys are getting the sneak peek of the podcast before we release it on our normal release schedule so uh, you know by the time you're listening to the audio version this is already out but uh, it'll probably be a week and a half till this comes out if you're listening to the youtube version and want to hear the audio version for some reason yes so that is that tips for you guys if you want to comment on this episode and give us your review your rating your thoughts go to rotoscopers.com slash 126 i have all sorts of show notes if i mention an article easter eggs i'll include a link to my review in there um, you will find all of those links in the show notes at rotoscopers.com slash 126 also links to the soundtrack if you'd like to purchase that on itunes or amazon and hey who knew you can also pre-order Finding Dory right now. So I included the pre-order link. If you loved it so much that you're already ready to get in line to purchase, you can find that there. Another way to support the show is rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Use that to start all of your Amazon shopping and it helps to support the show. Uh, very, very easy way if you're shopping on Amazon anyway. Just you know have that link saved and, and use that. And we really do appreciate anyone who uses the link when they're just doing their shopping. And another way to support the show is the Rotoscopers store, rotoscopers.com slash store. We actually did have an order this past week. Woo! So we are still shipping those out. And Patreon, rotoscopers.com slash Patreon or slash patron. We are going to be recording another Rotocast this Saturday. And Mason, kind of a perk of the 
uh, Rotocast is that while we were doing that, it's kind of a, a chill session. We have people asking questions. Uh, we're just kind of, it's just a lot more free form, a lot more intimate. We're just talking about our lives and different things. It goes all over the place. There's no real set agenda. You never know what to expect. However, one thing that kind of has become a tradition is that Mason uh, will take requests from anyone who's joining us live for any sort of art or mashup or whatever, uh, draw Little Mermaid in the style of The Simpsons, right? So anything like that, he'll draw it and then we'll send that art out to whoever, the patron that requested it. So if you want to get in on the action, go to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. And thanks to the patrons who support the show. Uh, we really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, some people also did ask, how do they send voicemails? Rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Or you can call us on your phone at 406-646-6575. Please keep those brief and to the point because we do get quite a few. So the uh, more succinct calls will actually get preference uh, in cases that there are multiple, multiple voicemails. And also yeah. we'll try to mix it up if people are leaving, you know, voicemail every single week and there's there's many. We'll try to uh, mix in a variety of different callers. So just to mix it up. So if you're wondering, well, why didn't my voicemail get played? Uh, just too many voicemails, which is a great problem to have. So it is a great problem to have. Yep. <laughs> the, the days of sending in seven minute voicemails about how awesome Mason is and how long like, over <laughs> how beautiful his hair is and how smart he is and how he's the obviously the, the preferred rotoscoper on the podcast. Obviously. Those days are done. You can't just do that anymore. You have to kind of mix up your content on the anyway. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I know. <laughs> we have had a few marriage proposals for Chelsea and Morgan. None of them have really panned out. <laughs> Still waiting. Yes. All right. Do you guys have any last thoughts before we go and say adieu? Oh. You know, good on Pixar. This was another masterpiece. And uh, yeah, congratulations to the whole crew. They have raised the bar yet again. They have. Really excellent job, guys. Um, the next episode that we have is Secret Life of Pets. So ah. I'm excited to oh, see where that one kind of goes. If if anything, like I'm kind of hoping that Secret Life of Pets is as much of a surprise as Finding Dory was for me. Um, I've seen good things about it, but I'm also like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm hoping. I have high hopes for Secret Life of Pets. Yes. All right, guys, until next episode, we are we the, the Rotoscopers. Just because I want to throw this in there, Bill Hader's character was one of my absolute favorite, like, throwaway characters. Really? <laughs> as far as a throwaway character, you know? He was just like... He's kind of a jerk. I know, but the, the duo between he and the wife... Him and the wife were very well animated. <laughs> you are not helping. I like Where's Maya Rudolph. Fearless Astrid Hofferson is saying we should name it Finding Mason, and I agree because, I mean, look at, <laughs> I mean, look at me. Wouldn't you want to find me? Unforgettable. Hmm. Unforgettable. <laughs> That's what you are. That could be kind of entertaining. Chelsea, are you frozen still? We don't like frozen Chelsea. Hello. How do we know she's not just staying really still? <sighs> I'm going to kick her out. Do it. Speaking of Frozen, five-hour wait to go to the oh, new I, Frozen I'm sure, ride. I'm sure the Epcot workers from Norway love that their heritage has been smattered and replaced <laughs> by Frozen. Of course.
They're like, oh yeah, Norway is, you know, Norway's actually very fascinating. Yeah, get us in the Frozen ride. <laughs> no, 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 you, we haven't uh, relied on foreign energy in, in over 50 years. Show us Olaf. <laughs>